0: Let's pray before we open up the word. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning as we as we open your word that you'll just, you'll speak to us, Lord. That you'll meet our needs. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be present, Lord. And you would just have your way among us. We ask that in your name, Jesus. John chapter 14. We we live in such a crazy day, don't we? We have so much access to information. I remember when I first started putting together Bible studies. I was in high school um, back in the early 90s. And I remember having to do a lot of work, you know, creating Bible studies. If you wanted to find out what a word meant, you had to get out this giant concordance and find the word in there, and sure enough, there's 1,200 usages of it, and you have to scroll down and find the right one you want to use, and then, and it was just a whole lot of work. Or if you wanted to um, find a cross-reference, and you can only remember a part of it in your mind. It took 45 minutes to find that verse. You know, flipping around, looking for it, and now, you just type in the phrase in the computer. There it is. There's so many Bible tools. You can bring up any verse and look at the interlinear Bible and and find the, the Hebrew and the Greek and all this. And it's amazing the information, the access that we have. You know, and, and social media also, it's another very interesting phenomena. It's a very cool tool. I, I like social media in that I can stay in touch with people who I otherwise might not keep in touch with. You can see what's going on in other people's lives. You can see what other people are up to. Some people call that stalking. Some people don't. Um, but, but this whole social media thing, it's interesting. I was reading about the anxiety that social media can cause. Psychologists call it the, uh, the compare and despair factor. I thought that was kind of clever. And they're talking about how you see your, 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 your friend's vacation that week to the Caribbean on Instagram. And you're just at home every week mowing your grass. And all you can afford is Little Caesars pizza. You know, and, 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 and you feel like, well, why am I not experiencing the good life? Why do they get all this stuff and I don't? And, and, and this, this depression can kind of creep in and anxiety can kind of creep in. And, and I was talking about this fear of missing out. How how you know you people will see pictures of their friends at a party. Well, how come I wasn't invited? Why wasn't I there? And how it's causing all this this social anxiety. There's all these new elements that have been introduced into our culture and our society in the last couple years that we've never had to deal with before. In all of history, and all of creation, these are new things causing so much anxiety and stress and worry. And it seems like people are working more and more and more and relaxing less and less, 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 less interaction with people. And on top of that, we're bombarded by the media, by all these things that we're supposed to be worried about. Last year, remember, the storm came. Remember what it was called? Anybody remember? Snowmageddon, right? We're all going to die because there's going to be six inches of snow. And you know what? We're always being bombarded by the threat of, of global warming. And when I was a kid, the threat was global cooling, right? And I'm not that old. When I was young, it was, the big deal is, oh, we're, we're ruining the environment using all these paper bags. We have to switch to plastic. Now we're back to paper again. We're worried about terrorism. We're worried about vaccines and whether we should vaccinate our kids or not. We're worried about the wildfires in Brazil. We're worried because we're told that the world is going to die in 12 years. And I'm starting to worry about that because I've been hearing that for decades. You know, it's starting to stress me out. All this fear, all this stress. I stole that from a meme, by the way. That wasn't my own thought. Um, But all this fear, all this stress, guys, that's, that's not from the Lord. Paul tells Timothy, He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. This anxiety, this isn't what the Lord has for us. That isn't his design for us. And as we pick up the text this morning in John 14, Jesus begins to address this issue of fear and anxiety and worry and certainty. Jesus says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Remember what Jesus told the disciples last week. Remember Jesus has just, this is still, this is still that Last Supper setting, right? They just shared in the First Communion. Jesus, Judas had just, just departed to betray Jesus. All this is going on. And Jesus has just told the disciples, look, I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to leave. And where I go, You cannot follow. And the disciples were upset. They were anxious. They were stressed. He was going somewhere that they couldn't go. And in their minds, they must have been thinking, Jesus, we we gave up everything to follow you. You're you're everything to us. You're all we have, and and, and you're leaving us now? Now what are we supposed to do? Now where are we going to go? And they would have been upset. They were shaken, they were troubled. And Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. Jesus is essentially saying, listen guys, you need to have faith. You have faith in the Father. Trust me too. You might not understand what's going on right now. You might not understand what's about to go down. But don't let your faith get shaken up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. He says, set your eyes on me even when you don't understand. Set your eyes on me even when you, you can't figure out what's going on. Don't let your heart be troubled. How many of you guys here like to worry? Some of you guys, I think, enjoy it. You know, some people, we just tend to be stressors. And I think we all do to some degree. We all, we have this issue looming. Or, you know, what am I going to do? You know, how, how am I going to deal with the situation? And some people, you know, play out whole scenarios in their head and, and then this is going to happen. And then when he says this to me, I'm going to respond like this. And then on Tuesday when I see him, we're going to do this. And, and we have this tendency to, to get kind of worked up sometimes about, about the unknown, don't we? We get so consumed with, with, with the what-ifs and the maybes and the might happens. We, we, we're trying to live in today and tomorrow at the same time. And I read an interesting statistic, and I, and I, and I shared it with you guys a while ago. Um, but it's good, so I'm going to share it again. It says this, and you guys probably remember this, because I think it was just maybe five or six months ago that I, I shared this. But somebody did a study on the things that people worry about. You remember this this statistic? They did a study on the things that people worry about. And they said that 40% of the things that people worry about never happen. 30% of the things that people worry about are things that have already happened and can't be changed. 12% of the things that people worry about are criticisms from other people. 10% of the things you worry about are health-related issues. And ironically, that makes your health worse when you worry. And the study found that only 8% of the things that we worry about are legitimate issues. 8%. 92% of the things that we worry about are useless and worthless. And there's this great quote that I think I shared the last time I shared this statistic. And it says this, worry is faith in the negative and trust in the unpleasant. Worry is assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. I like that last line. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. We worry about two things. We worry about things we can change or things we can't change. If there's nothing we can do about it, if we can't change it, why waste time worrying about it? If it is something you can change, stop wasting your time worrying about it and change it. Either way, worry is a waste of our energy. It's a waste of our efforts. Remember what Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So Jesus here, he says, don't worry. How? It's easy to say, but how do we stop worrying? How do we stop being anxious? I love that scripture never points out our issues without giving us a solution as well, right? The Bible never says, look, you are a hopeless, helpless, totally depraved sinner on the path to hell. Catch you later, right? Scripture reveals our issues. It speaks truth into our hearts and then it reveals how we're to deal with those issues, how we can resolve those problems. Jesus says, don't stress, don't worry. Then he says, trust in God and trust in me also. Remember Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. It's one of the first verses that a lot of us memorize. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Solomon says, trust the Lord with all your heart and seek him. And when we do that, we don't have to depend on our own wisdom. We don't have to figure out our issues ourselves. We usually don't do that though, do we? We usually tend to, to depend on our own wisdom. We try to figure out our issues ourselves. We try to figure out our problems ourselves. And when that fails, and it always does, then we finally turn to the Lord. But here's what we need to do. We need to become a people who go to the Lord first. Who take our issues to Him first rather than trying to figure out ourselves first. Seek the Lord. Seek His will in all that we do. And he will guide us, and he'll direct us, and he'll lead us. So Jesus tells the guys, he says, listen, things are about to get tough, and you're not going to understand what's going to happen. It's not going to make sense to you. Here's what I need you to do. Trust in the Lord, and trust in me. Listen to what I'm telling you. And here's the thing that we need to understand about this. This this trust in the Lord, this not being anxious, this not worrying, not stressing. It's not natural, is it? It goes against our nature. And and we talked about this a little bit last week in regards to love. This idea of of it being supernatural, of being above the natural, being beyond natural, This ability to trust the Lord in the hard hard times, this, this ability to have faith in the midst of difficulty, it's not natural. It's a gift of God. The Holy Spirit enables us to trust the Lord even when it seems like we should be flipping out. One of my favorite verses, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter four. And he says in verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And we all know that verse. We all love that verse. But I like what he says in the next verse, the next couple verses. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then he says in verse 9, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. Paul says this, that peace, that that freedom from anxiety that comes from walking with the Lord, from meditating on Him, from meditating on His Word, that, that, that supernatural peace. It's not available to everyone. It's not even available to all Christians, Paul says. It's only available to those who are walking in the Spirit. It's only available to those who are walking in step with Jesus Christ. It's only available to those who are putting into practice the things that they have learned. And I love that idea. And I'll say this. I speak with a degree of experience in dealing with anxiety and fear. And I'm not naturally a fearful person. But when we were living in Belize, especially early on, our first, sounds crazy to say this, our first decade there, right? It was a a tumultuous time. There was a season when there were grenades going off around the city. One went off right next to our church, close enough that I felt the, the percussion wave from it. One went off next to our house, and I felt it shake. There was a time that my wife and, and a girl who's like a daughter to us got mugged. There was another time that we were getting death threats, and, and all this stuff was going on. There was a time, I remember, when, when it was this was our first probably two or three years, and I think I've shared this story, we are just ending Wednesday night service, and, and the field across the street from our church, there was automatic gunfire going off out there, and everybody came running inside, and I ran out, and my little boy, who's like three or four at the time, was just standing there not knowing what to do, and I had to run out and grab him and bring him back in. And and those were were scary things. And and there were times that I I questioned my calling. What am I I doing here? Am I I really called to this place? here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Is God in control? Is he able... Something I used to tell my guys in Belize. I used to tell them because we'd go and we would do stuff and sometimes it'd be scary for them because they're from a certain neighborhood and and it was kind of scary to go into other neighborhoods and I would tell them all the time, listen guys, we are immortal until the will of God is fulfilled in our lives. When we're walking with the Lord, nothing can touch us unless he allows it. Jesus goes on in verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Some of your translations say, in my Father's house are many mansions. How many of you guys' have translations say mansion in there? How many of you guys have heard that translation growing up, mansion? Right, most of us. The word, what's that? How many want a mansion? (laughs) The word there, the Greek word is mané. And a lot of your older translations say mansion. And it should be more accurately translated a a dwelling or an abode or a room. Now that seems like a bit of a downgrade, doesn't it? I mean, I spent my whole life thinking I'm getting a mansion in heaven. And now I'm getting a room with the super eight? Now listen, it's true. Linguistically, this word, mané, it means room. But this is a room in our Father's house in heaven. This is a place where, as we're going to see in the next verse, our Lord has been there preparing for us for 2,000 years. He spoke creation into existence in six days. And he's been gone some seven hundred and thirty thousand days i know some of you guys are getting your calculator right now to figure that it's it's right preparing a place for us i don't think that we need to feel slighted by the downgrade when we get there the word might mean room but read the description of heaven revelations 21 Look at around verse 9. He starts talking about the streets of gold and precious stones and pearls. And even even the foundations of the buildings were made of precious stones. The the dirt and the rock are made of precious materials. Heaven is going to be a glorious dwelling place. In verse 22, John says that he didn't see the temple, but the Lord Almighty... He says this. I'll read it. He says, but I saw no temple. The Lord Almighty and the Lamb... Were the temple, and the city had no need of sun or moon because the glory of the Lamb shone so bright. With that picture in mind, it's easy to see why those ancient translators maybe use that word mansion because it's going to be nice. But look at the rest of what verse 2 is saying there. He begins to explain to the disciples that they need to have an eternal perspective. They need to be looking forward in the midst of of hard times and in the midst of trials. When our hearts are troubled, when we're filled with stress and anxiety, we need to to look forward, remembering that this isn't our home, that this is just a a waypoint, this is just a, a rest area. We're only passing through. Remember where we're headed. Remember our destination no more suffering, streets of gold, eternally in the presence of the Lord, in perfect fellowship with the Father. I look forward to that, to being there for all eternity. And I think when we can set our hearts and our minds and our eyes on that, it makes the issues that we're dealing with here a lot smaller. And if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that means I'm coming back to get you so we can be together. I love this verse. We just saw this amazing description of heaven in the scriptures, the precious stones, the streets of gold. But think about this all of that it's still just a place if your house was suddenly gold plated and you had diamond cups that'd be cool for 3 or 4 days then why is this bed so uncomfortable you know and you know it it, it would get old it would just it would get you just get used to it do you know what makes heaven heaven Jesus Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. The presence of Jesus is what makes it heaven. We need to understand that. Jesus makes heaven, heaven, and we were created by Jesus for heaven, and it was created for us. We were made for heaven. And verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going how can we know the way i love thomas such an honest guy you know sometimes uh at my jiu-jitsu class the coach will be drilling a, teaching us a, a complex set of moves and he'll show it five or six or eight times explaining all the details and he'll say anybody have any questions everybody get that and nobody says anything and you get back with your training partner to drill. And, Did you get any of that? Nope, I h- thought you were going to. <laughs> you know, and, and we just kind of, we, we don't want to say anything. We don't want to admit that we don't know that we need help because we're afraid that everybody else got it and we didn't. But Thomas speaks up and he says, I don't get it, Lord. And I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're headed, so we don't know how to get there. And then verse 6. One of the most, iconic the right word? Memorable, one of the most well-known verses in Scripture. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, Thomas, I've been with you for three years now. Haven't you been listening? He says, look, Thomas, the destination is heaven. It's eternal life. It's it's fellowship with the Father. You know the destination already. And he says, you know the way as well. It's me. Jesus says, I am the way. It's always been me. He says, you don't need a map. You don't need GPS, you don't need Waze, you don't need any of those things. All you need is me. reminded of Genesis chapter 28. Remember in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is traveling from Bethel to Haran. And as he's traveling, he stops for the night, and he's out in the wilderness. And it tells us that he took a bunch of stones and made a place to lay his head. And he falls asleep there. And why he's asleep? He, he has this vision, and in the vision, he sees this this stairway, or this ladder, spanning the gap between heaven and earth, connecting heaven and earth. And Jesus says, "Look, he says, "That's me. I am that stairway." He says, "I am." I am I, what Jacob saw. I am the way to get to heaven. I am, the, I am the one that spans the gap between heaven and earth. I am the one that spans the gap between the physical and the spiritual. Remember in Job chapter 9, Job is making note of this, of this chasm between God and man. This, this expanse that's uncrossable. And in verse 33, he says this There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. What Job is saying is this He says, If only there was someone who could mediate between God and man, if there's someone who could span the, the chasm between the, the physical and the spiritual. And you remember what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says there is. He says there's one mediator between God and man and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus here says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says I am the way and also the truth. What does that tell us? Despite what we hear all the time, there is Objective truth. This word truth here, it means true as in in opposition to what is false. Truth as in in agreement with reality. And I think that that's a, a great definition of truth, isn't it? In agreement with reality. Right? Not all things that are said are actually in agreement with reality. For example, you might say, Wow, Pastor Joel, it looks like you've lost a lot of weight. Pastor Joel, it looks like your receding hairline's coming back down. Now, that might be nice, it might make me feel good, but it's not in agreement with reality, <laughs> right? Jesus here says, Look, I am in agreement with reality. The things that I say, are in agreement with reality. You guys familiar with all the Chuck Norris jokes and memes that have been kind of floating around for a few years? There's one that I think is particularly funny. It says when Chuck Norris does a push-up, he isn't lifting himself up. He's pushing the earth down. (laughs) In a weird way, this is kind of what we're talking about here. Jesus isn't the truth because the things that he says agree with reality. Jesus is the truth because he created reality. And reality agrees with him because he spoke reality into existence. He says, I am the way, I am the truth. It's a rare occasion, by the way, when you get to work a Chuck Norris joke into a sermon. So I'm (laughs) going to check that off my list right there. He says, I am the life. What does Jesus mean? when He says, I am the life. There's so much that we could discuss here. As Jesus being the creator and the sustainer of all life. We could talk about Genesis 1 and 2 when he spoke creation into existence. How he's the one who's able to grant us eternal life. We could talk about how apart from Jesus there is no life no spiritual life. But one thing that I notice when I read this verse is the is the exclusivity of it. For those of you who like grammar, the the definite article there. Right? The word the. It, there's a I think there's an implied exclusivity when we see the word the. Jesus didn't say I am a way, I am a truth, I am a light. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, look, I am the only way to get to heaven. I am the only path. And Jesus making this statement, it it rubs people the wrong way today, doesn't it? You say that and people get their feathers all ruffled up. How can you say that Jesus is the only way? all those other religions out there, all those other decent people trying to please God, how can you be so exclusive and say that Jesus is the only way? I didn't. I didn't say it. God said it. Jesus said it. If you don't like it, don't get mad at me. You can take it up with him. And if he is God, if he created all things, if he's in control of all things, doesn't he have the right to do as he pleases? Doesn't he have the right to make his own parameters for salvation, whether or not you or I like it? How, how arrogant we can be sometimes, can't we? Shaking our fist at God. Tell him that we know what's right and he needs to change. We all know the gospel message, I believe. Most of us here anyway. We don't understand that that we have broken God's law, that we've all been unfaithful to God, that we've gone astray, that we've all sinned and and grieved the heart of God. We understand that, that God is perfect, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and that he always does the right thing. And we understand that because he is holy and righteous, he's bound by his nature to punish sin. He's bound by his very nature to punish those who break the law. But we also understand that God isn't only holy. He isn't only righteous. He's also merciful. He's also loving. And he doesn't want to see his beloved creation punished for their sins. He doesn't want to see you and I eternally separated from God. And so scripture teaches that God became a man. And he dwelt among us. And he lived a perfect life and he never sinned. And that's important to note that he never sinned. Because if Jesus had sinned, his death would have been payment for his own sin. But since he never sinned, his death could be used as the payment for someone else's sin. And because he was God, his death could be used to pay for the sins of everyone for all time. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm it. And I think of the Father having made this great sacrifice, having sent His only Son, suffering and dying on our behalf, and us down here running around trying to find our own way. Imagine if you were the Father, and you had given your only Son to save the life of another person, and they rejected it. And they mocked it, and they abandoned it. How hurtful that would be to the Father. How insulting that must be to Him. Here's the main point. This is what Jesus is saying. Only a relationship with the Lord will save you from hell and we need to remember that in our own lives we need to remember that as we're talking with other people we need to always be impressing the importance of of commitment to Jesus Christ not being conformed to the religion of Christianity and we've talked about this many times the difference between conformity and conversion right the difference between looking right on the outside Versus being changed on the inside. Too many people are conformed, but they're not converted. They change on the outside. They look right. They sound right. They smell right. But the inside, they're dark and corrupt and lost. I told you this story a while back, but some of you guys are new, so I'll tell you guys again. I remember once when I was a little kid, I was probably... um, six and I was at um, the home of some friends of my parents and I don't remember the situation if I missed lunch at school that day or whatever but I, I was hungry and um, everybody left the room and there was a, a bowl of fruit there and I thought, well there's nobody else around just me and this bowl of fruit and I'm hungry so I grabbed a bowl of fruit and we're around the corner to eating took a big bite of this apple big plastic apple nothing on the inside, no substance, nothing real. It looked good, it looked right, but there was nothing inside. And I feel like that's how a lot of the church is today. Plastic fruit Christians. Looking good on the outside, sparkly, shiny, no blemishes. But nothing going on on the inside. I get tired of the church being like that, and I get tired of myself being like that. It's so easy to do sometimes, to to put up this front for everybody else to see. You know, you say amen in the right spot. You pray the right way. You go to the right prayer meetings and this and that. And, And you can make everything look so good on the outside. And on the inside, there's nothing happening. Jesus addressed the religious people of his day. And he had some hard words for them, didn't he? He says, you guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You know, they, I, I know what he's talking about because in Belize, the, um, you know, here we just have a little gravestone. But there, they, when they bury somebody, they build this like little cement structure on top of it. And every so often, they'll come and they'll repaint it because they want it to look pretty on the outside. And that's what they would do there, too. They'd have the graves, and they would paint the graves and make them look good on the outside. And Jesus says, look, you're you're, you're dressing up the outside. The outside looks pretty, but what's inside? Nothing but filthy, stinking, rotten flesh. Looks good on the outside, but there's nothing happening on the inside. And Jesus warns that we need to be cautious of that. Don't get caught up in the religion of Christianity. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ because he is the way to eternal life. He alone is the way to eternal life. He's the way to heaven. We need to set our eyes on him, church. We need to live for him every day. Look towards heaven. As we do that, as we set our eyes on him, as we walk with him, as we make him the center of our focus, as we make him the center of our attention, all the other things, all the other worries in life, all the other struggles, all the other cares, they fade off into the periphery. They get smaller. I love that old hymn. The chorus says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think that's the key to not being overwhelmed, not worrying, not stressing, keeping an eternal perspective, turning our eyes towards Jesus. And as we do that, as the song says, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Remember that church it's all about him it's all about Jesus it's all about who he is and what he has done for us at the cross let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for sending your son to be the mediator Lord and <clears throat> we thank you for sending your son to to stand in that gap between the the physical and the spiritual, Lord. Being that that stairway to heaven, as it were. And Lord, we pray that everyone here would would use the stairs, Lord. That That they would come to you. That they would enter into you, Lord. They would be converted to you. They would repent of their sins and be saved. We pray that you'd help us just to go forth from this place, Lord, with you being the center of our lives, Lord. When stress comes, when anxiety comes, when trouble comes, Lord, help us to to find peace in you, we pray. We ask that in your name, Jesus.